Welcome to Inaudible. I'm your host, Jeremy Weiland, and I'm joined by my co-host, Nathan Reddy. On this podcast, we discuss the weird, beautiful channeled messages found in the long tradition of contact with the Confederation of Planets in service to the One Infinite Creator. These messages articulate a philosophy of spiritual evolution, popularly known as the Law of One. Many of these messages are available to listen to on our sister podcast, Living Love and Light, available on all platforms. We seek to provide analysis and commentary on this philosophy described in these messages, identifying the common themes and grappling with the application of this information to our human lives. However, we are not counselors, gurus, or experts of any kind, so please evaluate our words in light of our own shortcomings and use your own best judgment. Thanks for listening. And I am very happy to welcome to the podcast uh, Stephen Tyman. Uh, Stephen is a retired associate professor of philosophy. At, uh, he was at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale, Illinois. Uh, he received his PhD in philosophy from the University of Toronto. He is the author of Descrying the Ideal, A Fool's Phenomenology, and The Secret Citadel Trilogy, as well as articles for scholarly philosophical journals. Additionally, he is a longtime student and practitioner of the Law of One and Confederation Philosophy, who learned channeling under Carla Ruckert in the 80s and served as a senior channel at LL Research for many years. Uh, he is uh, one of the founding members of the Other Selves Working Group and the senior channel in the uh, High Altitude Receiving Center Circle with Nithin and me. And uh, so with that introduction, thank you so much for joining us, Steve. My pleasure. How are you doing today, Steve? Pretty well. Thank Good. you very much. Good. And Nathan, you're joining us as well. How's it going over there? Very well. Glad to be here. Thank you for joining us, Steve. Thanks for thanks everybody for joining us. This is our 50th episode of Inaudible. Uh, we started way back in 2021, and I'm just really, really grateful that I uh, that Nathan and I and Ryan have this outlet to talk about this philosophy because it's so hard to find, you know, the kind of conversations that we have uh, in the podcast realm. So uh, thanks for sticking with us, uh, listeners. Uh, what I wanted to talk about today uh, is uh, what us three do. We are involved in uh, what I described as the High Altitude Receiving Center Circle or HARC Circle. Uh, this is a brand new channeling circle uh, that uh, arises from the Other Selves Working Group, the uh, spiritual seeking uh, group that uh, I and Steve founded in 2020. And we are uh, engaged in the same channeling practice or as close to it as our, as you know we understand the protocols to be uh, of doing this channeling in the Confederation tradition. And uh, so now that I have uh, two other instruments on the program, it's not just me, uh, I wanted to, you know, talk about uh, what this phenomenon is. Steve, I was wondering, uh, if someone came up to you and had a Law of One background and asked, what is channeling? How would you go about defining that? Uh, I would say that it is two things at once. First of all, it's the ability to get deep within the inner reservoirs of one's own consciousness, there to receive a telepathic message sent by, in our case, uh, individuals of higher density 
origination. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty that's pretty uh, close to how I think about it too. Um, it strikes me that what we're dealing with is a particular use of consciousness when we're dealing with channeling. Um, something that you know Carla and others describe as tuning. Uh, now, I've given the uh, listenership my my concept of that, but I was wondering, how would you describe this tuning and the way that consciousness relates to channeling? Well, it's a matter of, first of all, uh, attaining clarity within one's own mind. And that requires silence of mind. Uh, silence of mind is not something easily attained. And so... Uh, our group has developed a system of protocols uh, having to do with various rituals. Each individual uh, creates a personalized set of rituals uh, for purposes of regularizing the uh, mental configuration that will permit that moment of reception, which is essential to being able to receive a telepathic message. Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's good. It's good that we can have a little bit of precision once in a while in these kinds of definitions, because I think people, especially when they're starting out in this philosophy, really kind of let a lot of things that they don't understand about channeling and stuff like that wash over them, and they and they figure it out later. So uh, it's good to have multiple viewpoints on that. It's very common, even for people who consider themselves to be channels, to make the erroneous supposition that the message that one is able to bring through is entirely given on the authority of the source. Uh, that for conscious channeling is never the case. Uh, one has to draw up from one's own unconscious reserve, reservoir the elements which make that communication possible. And therefore, one always has a certain degree of responsibility for the message that comes through. And when one is a listener to these messages, one should be able to take that into consideration in evaluating what has been said. And so, for example, if you are a fan of the entity known as Kuo, uh, you need to realize that there are a number of different channels of Kuo, and not all are the same, and not all are equal in the vibratory reach they are able to achieve within the process of channeling. How then do people sift through this information and decide what, what, what they should listen to and what they shouldn't then? Well, you can never get yourself out of the equation in doing that. So, for example, you do have to take into account your own interests, uh, and you also have to exercise your own discernment in evaluating the material that you are given. Sometimes you are able to use uh, elements like 
tone of voice and such things uh, if you have the audio recordings available to you. But for the most part, you're limited to evaluating the material in terms of other material that you have already received. And it's a question of bringing that all into as much a state of coordination and harmony as you are able to do. So, so it's, it's, it's interesting because both in the sense of consuming channel content and being involved as a partner in its production, you place a lot of, uh, uh, responsibility on the human that's involved in both of those activities. Absolutely. <clears throat> now, I, I would say uh, one more thing here. Uh, that is, if you ever have the opportunity to attend uh, channeling sessions in person, uh, you yourself become a part of that energy configuration, which generates the message. And uh, it does tend to leave a trace within your own consciousness uh, that can be built upon over the course of time. Uh, the more tuned the group that you are able to participate in, the more profound that trace will be and the more useful it is likely to be to you in your further seeking, in your meditations, and so forth. I see. Yeah, this is. Uh, it's nice. It's nice. For, it's nice to hear somebody else uh, articulating their opinions on this. Um, who who knows a lot about this? Um, so uh, I'm trying to trying to put myself in the shoes of a listener and ask the questions that they would want to ask. What uh, what is involved in becoming a channel? Well. I like to compare channeling to painting a house. Uh, the act of channeling itself, while you're in the process, and Nathan, you're fairly new at this, but you can probably attest to the same thing, is relatively simple. That is, it's a question of, of receiving the message and passing it on. Everything, though, having to do with becoming a better and better channel has to do with the preparation beforehand. So if you look at what an experienced painter will do, they will scrape and they will uh, mend uh, boards and they will uh, uh, work on the surface for a great many hours before they're actually painting. And the actual painting itself can take far less time than all the preparation. Everything is in the preparation. And so there's weeks of, of more and more intensive meditation leading up to the experience. There's the process of making sure you're in the right state of mind when you gather together. Uh, and uh, my experience has also been that there will almost always be impediments thrown in the way. And so you have catalyst to process uh, over and above that which you uh, additionally process on a daily basis. So it's, it's all that. It, it's putting yourself in the right frame of mind. It's going through the right 
motions to prepare yourself through your rituals and through your challenging exercises. Uh, and uh, when you're ready to go, uh, it's then at that point, very simple and very easy. And those, um, I think, uh, uh, like many of us, you trace the, uh, uh, the challenging and uh, tuning exercises uh, back to things that Carla came up with. I know you have a few different uh, concepts on how to approach it than Carla does. Do, do you have, do you have uh, a way to articulate how your approach to that might be different than hers or built upon hers maybe? Well, it's certainly built upon hers. Uh, the notion of challenging came entirely from Carla uh, with respect to the uh, rituals for tuning that I have developed over the years. Uh, I, I couldn't say that they are improvements on Carla except for the sense in which they fit my own personal distortions. And so I think that every channel uh, has to go through that process. Uh, at first, one does take over what one's teacher uh, has given one. And then when, over the years, one adapts those procedures to what works for oneself. And uh, certainly I did that. And everybody that I have taught, I know I have stressed this, uh, has learned to personalize their own process so that it fits who they are. Yeah, I know on several occasions, it's it seemed as if the Confederation has had a message that you know, it's when we make these practices personal, when that when when they when they speak to our own sort of biases and distortions that seem most at home and most tuned for us, that they work the best. And and I found that that means you have to kind of like uh, take a take a take a large hand in changing them uh, as you hone your your practice. I know I certainly did. Uh, yes, much- it, it is. It is after all. You're unconscious. Yeah. You're seeking to gain access to. And that unconscious has a symbology <clears throat> excuse me, already in place. Uh, and so uh, it's, a, it's not simply an imposition upon things which happen to appeal to your conscious mind. It's a process of discovery uh, and interaction with that portion of yourself, which normally lies hidden. Yeah, I would definitely agree with Steve that uh, there's a lot of preparation involved. And I don't know if we'll talk too much about this, but especially for, you know, the uh, last uh, channeling that we did, uh, I think each of us individually had separate catalysts, like right before, uh, I know I did, you know, um, right before the channeling that was, (laughs) that was like, you know, it was kind of annoying to deal with, but I guess it's to be expected, uh, you know, it was kind of funny how it was, it was like clockwork. Me? Catalyst? I just had COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you came into it with uh, with stuff. That's for sure. And out. Um, and this is something that we've gotten uh, direction from uh, with respect to Kuo. In fact, at the first jailing intensive, um, they they spoke about, you know, an accelerated catalyst that we might, we might uh, fairly expect in our lives. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of tough to, uh, do this service and always relate positively to that, but that is our challenge. Um, and, uh, 
you know, one of the things that Kuo also said in that session, and this is the, tw- uh, the 12th session, I believe, of the first intensive, is that not only do our challenges increase, but the resources with which we have to work with them will increase. And that's something that I've tried to uh, keep in mind and in my heart when things seem really daunting. Uh, what's your, do you, how, how do you relate to that, Steve? Is it, is it pretty similar? Yes, uh, but I'll have to say that uh, though uh, I always fully expect my catalyst to be accelerated right around the time that I'm contemplating participating in an intensive, it nevertheless always catches me off guard. It's, it's, it's got a genius for that. It, it comes upon me from behind, and there it is. And, and oh, okay, you know, I've, I've had enough experience now so that I'm prepared to say, okay, that's what this is. Uh, but uh, knowing that helps but very little. Yeah. Because whatever it is, it, it has to be taken on its own terms. It's never the same any two times in a row. Yeah. And also, uh, I think for this uh, channeling, all of us also experienced catalyst like right after, right? So it's, it was uh, quite interesting how catalytic all of it was. Yeah. Well, it gives you a sense that there is some sort of sacrifice that is needed in order for this work to have the, the power and purity that we seek for it to have. You know, whether or not it measures up, that's for, I'd leave that to the reader or the listener. But, uh, you know, we, we are definitely trying to do everything we can to bring through uh, useful information that is as free of distortion as we mere mortals can possibly affect. Um, and that requires sacrifice, first and foremost, of one's own ego. You have to lay that aside at, when you're a channel. And even if you find yourself saying things as a channel that you don't particularly agree with or don't like, yeah, uh, that's part of the service. That's why, that's why it's so important uh, to have practice with this tuning because things can come up in life. And we do need to be able to render this service. In order to be effective, we need to be able to render the service in spite of what's going on in our personal lives. And that's, that's a big challenge. Knowing how to hold tuning during these moments and recognizing when you're going out of tune, very important too, to be honest about that, um, are crucial, crucial practices. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, Steve, is you've done a lot of uh, work with with uh, another group that studies the law of one and a lot of channeling with them, in fact. And I was wondering uh, what you noticed about the difference between the more concentrated, intensive model that we do, where we get together for a short period of time and produce a lot of work, and how that differs from uh, what other groups do, where they might do it more regularly, but at, um, at, at more removed from each session. Well, I think you can tell from listening to the work that we do that as we move from the first to the second into the third and the fourth uh, episodes, that a greater intensity is in fact achieved. Uh, And uh, furthermore, we are somewhat more selective in the questions that we ask. And when 
uh, we get results that surprise us or seem to offer information that is new, we have the opportunity to follow up on that in the next session uh, and to expand our material in that way. So I would say that there's at least those two dimensions. There's the dimension of focus, which has a lot to do with our conscious minds. And then there's a a dimension of greater intensity, uh, which has more to do uh, with the penetration into the unconscious portions, uh, which does affect the quality of the channeling involved. Absolutely. Oh, man. I thought this would be an easier conversation to have. I feel like it's so hard for me to like come up with genuine curiosity about this stuff in the way that a listener would, because this is stuff we always talk about. And I feel like I'm just rehashing stuff. Um, Maybe it'd be good to uh, go into what do you, what do you think, Nathan? I was just going to say maybe another question to ask um, that a listener might ask is, you know, it sounds like there's a lot of preparation required, but is there a way to kind of, um, dabble into this area or is it kind of like a little bit more of um, all or nothing dedication? Well, if, if the question is whether whether one can be a kind of weekend dabbler in channeling, I would say definitely not. Uh, in the first place, if you can't devote yourself deeply to the exercise, you're not going to get good enough to make it worthwhile to present what you have to offer to others. Uh, That's point number one. Uh, Point number two is, uh, goes back to this notion of the acceleration of catalyst. Uh, You open doors to more intensive reception of energy, not simply by way of communication from your chosen source, but from from interventions from all manner of sources. That leaves you more vulnerable unless you have taken the measures for self-protection and self-monitoring. And if you and so it's a package deal. Learning to channel is like any intensive commitment to any spiritual path. When you accelerate catalyst, you are more vulnerable to to falling out of balance. And the more out of balance you are, the more vulnerable you are to further intervention. And that builds on itself. And you can wind up being... Uh, a channel not of the sort that you originally intended to be. In other words, you can wind up bringing in service to self-information through the back door quite unintentionally. That actually brings up a topic um, that I've been discussing with some other seekers on the Law of One subreddit, which is that this, this talk of protection seems to a lot of people to be the result of a fear-based mindset. Like, why should we be afraid of spirit? Why should we, why should we have this dualistic mindset? Now I, 
as a practitioner of this, you know, channeling philosophy, I heavily embrace the need for protection. But I also feel I've, I've been trying to explain uh, how I don't think that that comes from a level of fear in me. And I was wondering how you might answer that, Steve. Well, I simply answer it with a question. Have you ever experienced in school or family situations or the workplace uh, the uh, unwanted uh, catalyst of somebody that's highly angry, somebody that's highly manipulative, somebody that's highly offensive, and that has it in for you? That, that actually wants to do you harm. Uh, now, you can say in a general sense, uh, I am an eternal spirit, and in that regard, I am uh, invulnerable. Uh, but who among us feels invulnerable when we're under attack, when we're under assault, when somebody is attempting to get something out of us, when somebody is more pointedly attempting to manipulate us into doing their will. That's a perfectly recognizable human situation. The ante gets raised considerably when higher order intelligences are playing the game because uh, they're a couple of ticks smarter than we are while we're incarnate. And uh, so uh, it, it helps to have preparations in place so that when these things take place as they will if you are a channel as they will if you are a good channel and as they will become more and more the better of a channel you get to be because you will draw more attention to yourself as a result so all of these things have to be taken into account and preparations made to deal with them, and you have to be able to bring up the white light as a shield upon occasion. That's a very useful exercise to develop in the course of your meditations. And you have to be able to challenge with something that you believe in with all of your heart, all of your heart, the way Carla used to put it is you have to challenge in the name of something you would be prepared to die for. Uh, that's true. And so uh, it, it's not simply paranoia or fear-based thinking to be pragmatic enough to recognize that it is a crowded universe and not everybody in the universe means us well. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. Let me also like add to what kind of what Steve was saying, because I've thought about this uh, a lot, not necessarily in the context of your question, Jeremy, although it's very applicable, but basically is taking precaution, um, precautionary measures or trying to use some sort of protection in any scenario. Is that f always fear-based? And I don't believe so. Uh, as Steve said, it's, it's pragmatism, right? And it's more about, you know, am I literally in fear if I don't, fasten my seatbelt. Maybe if I'm driving really fast on the highway, but no, just more just like habit, just a pragmatic precautionary measure, right? Um, am I really in fear? Like, you know, in uh, in some states, you don't require uh, renter's insurance, right? 
And I think when I've rented in the past, I haven't always had renter's insurance. Sometimes I do, but that decision is not usually fear-based. Usually just, it's more pragmatic, you know? Um, there's a lot of decisions where you can take pre- uh, protection and precautions, not necessarily because you're truly in fear, but it's just a matter of logic. You know that statistically speaking, if like, let's say you don't, if you're living in a place where you don't require a certain sort of insurance, there's always that probability where if you don't have the insurance and something happens, it's just going to create more headache. It's going to be a time commitment. It's going to be, there's going to be some sort of uh, extra involvement and you'd prefer to spend maybe your focus in somewhere else, right? So for example, let's say you truly are not afraid of um, interference or whatever uh, by the loyal opposition, so to speak, and you're not taking any precautionary measures. Even if you're not in fear, because of some interference, it's going to involve a time commitment where you're not going to be focused on whatever you want to do, right? You're going to have to kind of deal with it, right? Whatever it might be, the angry person, whatever, whatever the case might be. And so it's not just about, um, I'm doing this out of fear, but it's really a sense of pragmatism where it's, you kind of, you know, that probably that over time, if you're not taking these precautions, you're going to have something happen. And even if you're okay with that happening, it's a distraction from uh, perhaps what you want to spend your time on. Right. So if, from that perspective, I absolutely think whether it's, you know, um, and there's many, many examples of, of this, right. Like of just precautionary habits that make sense that you're doing basically to save your time and focus as opposed to truly like feeling a sense of fear. It puts one in mind of that old anecdote, which you may have heard uh, a, a puzzled seeker. Uh, he happens to be uh, a Muslim uh, makes his way over the desert to a remote oasis in order to, consult a wise man, an imam. And he finally gets there and he asks the imam, uh, oh, wise one, can you tell me, should I tie up my camel or trust in Allah? And the imam thinks for a moment and thinks for another moment And finally, he says, trust in Allah and tie up your camel. Yeah. Sort of like the, uh, maybe that's the uh, Islam version of uh, God helps those who help themselves. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, 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 my, my answer to the question about the fear uh, element of all of this is to not deny that there's some fear to say that fear is not necessarily a bad thing and that it's more the aversion to fear rather than the desire to, to just feel it directly, to let it pierce you, and then to choose. Rather than if we're constantly trying to not feel fear, then we're reacting to it and we're trying to get away from it and we're doing all of these things in a sort of anxious manner uh, instead of just recognizing that there are things that are counter to our interests and taking measures. That's and, right. And, and then and, accepting and in what fact, happens. That's a good point, actually. Uh, uh, the fear center lies very, very deep. Yeah. And if you have a blockage uh, at the fear center because of some system of belief that you've imposed on yourself, uh, you will be blocking a portion of your own deeper process. And that itself can become a problem. 
Yeah, it's it it's uh it's worth pointing out that uh most of us who do let me ask, let me ask, uh do all of you do chakra clearing as part of your preliminaries? Oh, absolutely. That that's point number one for sure. Same Nathan? Yeah. There's a. I feel like there's many different versions of how deep you can go into that, but I definitely do a form of clearing. I just checking with your you with your your rays and seeing where they're at. This is this is one of the things that. Go ahead. No, I was gonna I was gonna say um, we can come back to it, but I did want to um, mention that the discussion of fears and taking precautions is very much related to um, some people who criticize if you're trying to influence or maybe not influence or take any sort of action. You're, you're doing it from a sense of control. And I don't believe that's true. I believe that you can still have preferences and take action in this world, uh, you know, and to have focus and discipline because you're trying to direct your life without a sense of fear or control. I mean, absolutely, Jeremy. There's always, you know, we're not perfect beings, so there's always going to be maybe a fear, but the whole motivation is not fear-based, right? Um, to You know, because you could say, I could live in faith and not go to work, and that's totally fine, but I don't think... For some people, at least for us, I would think we're not working because primarily out of fear. It's more that we've decided that for what we want to do, our spiritual practice, our personal lives, where we want to take them from a very like, like acceptance doesn't mean inaction. So we can accept our situation and still take action. It doesn't mean that we're operating primarily from a place of fear and control, which kind of ties into this question we're talking about. Absolutely. In fact, I would say that you are going to respond to a situation most clearly and lucidly if you're in touch with all of the emotions that that situation elicits in you and don't try to block some out and focus on others. Um, And that is precisely why I was asking about chakra clearing, because I think what our model gives us uh, in terms of consciousness is seven different ways of being a self and seven different ways of understanding ourselves and having these anchor points to focus on, to, 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 to do this monitoring, as you said, Steve, of the self in these seven different ways allows for us to get a level of clarity into the nature of distortions that if we were just if we were just looking at the self as an undifferentiated mass of biases and distortions, it might be harder to delve into. This idea that they accrue vibrationally is a nice indexing point into how we can work with this stuff. Yes. Uh, I, I would say <clears throat> it's also useful to recognize that uh, one does not have to become perfectly enlightened to become a channel. Yes. Uh, one's hopefully uh, on that path somewhere. But uh, there is a, a possibility of clearing the energy centers for the duration of a working so that they are clear. Uh, and so it's kind of like a uh, enlightened for a short period of time, uh, which doesn't deny the fact that you've got these distortions that you're working on as part of your uh, process of spiritual growth. Uh, And uh, when the session is over, you'll return to those as you release the 
uh, energies which you have drawn down for purposes of having this session. Uh, but you can clear for the nonce, shall we say, and carry that through for the duration of a session, uh, and then you let that go. What what role does the invocation of the magical personality play for you in that task, Steve? Uh, well, it's a big role because uh, it, uh, it's it, it involves precisely that concept which you've already invoked, Jeremy, which is sacrifice. You're, you're sacrificing the lower self. You're you're not killing it. You're not uh, exiling it. You're really setting it aside for purposes of allowing uh, a higher version of yourself, shall we say, to have sway for a uh, certain circumscribed period of time. It's not something which you can maintain permanently. And you do well to recognize that. Uh, But it's something, it's, it's like, a cloak of white light that you put upon yourself for a brief period of time uh, and take off when that period of time is over. Yeah, this is something that I really like about our approach to spirit in this uh, Confederation tradition, uh, which is that perfection is not required to make progress. And it's certainly, certainly not required to be of service. Of course, you as you progress down your path, uh, you learn more and more about what is required for service. Because to my mind, it's, it's, it's a very, it can be a very, uh, difficult thing to do well, because to only give people the service that they request, even when they're not verbally requesting it, and even when they themselves don't know it, can be define uh, request <laughs> right exactly yes and then yeah well define request define service right because service can be yeah. such a wide range of things uh but i really do think that this is what is uh uh really uh inspirational about how we approach spirit uh, in this philosophy is that you don't have to be perfect. There's no like sins that you're carrying on your shoulder that have to be absolved. You just have to have an honest seeking for truth. And that's why I think the term seeker is such a great all encompassing term to use rather than adherent or adept or any of this stuff. Uh, it, there's a humility to it that I think bespeaks uh, the common, the common uh, camaraderie we all share in 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 learning more about ourselves, uh, learning about the Creator through that, and somehow at some point bringing this planet together in unity, uh, so that we can take the next step forward. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Um, one of the things that I'm interested in is talking about what work our circle has been able to do and the past circle that we are part of perhaps uh, in uh, channeling Kuo at these four intensives that uh, we've, we've participated in. I know Nathan, you've, you were only in the last one, but you're part of our circle and I'm interested in your opinion. Um, there's, I'm really interested in the way that our circle has been able to probe areas of Ra's communicated philosophy and the, and, and the Confederation in general to find new and novel perspectives and insights into it. Um, 
Steve, are there any, is there any work that you and I have done together uh, since we started the working group and the channeling circle that stands out to you as most revelatory or most interesting in light of the previous Confederation work? Well, we've, we've covered a lot of ground that uh, was perhaps hinted at in the Law of One, but not fully developed. Uh, so, for example, we've explored uh, some of the intricacies of the service-to-self path uh, that uh, I didn't previously uh, know. And we have uh, put such questions as, uh, one of my personal favorites is, uh, uh, how can you say everything is fine when bad things happen to good people? Uh, we got the answer that, yeah, no, everything is fine. Uh, but I'm not sure that was completely satisfactory to all of us in the circle when we posed the question. Uh, but uh, we did get uh, quite a bit of, uh, I, I wouldn't say information, which is a game changer for the law of one, but it's certainly a more more fully articulates many of the uh, issues that are not fully developed within the text itself. I know one other thing I would say is that uh, one thing that a uh, fairly small and intimate group has going for it uh, as it works over the course now of years is that one is able in the sessions that one does have available to one to gain deeper and deeper penetration. And uh, for example, the communication from Kuo is a tripartite communication. That is to say, it's a communication from the Confederation of Planets in service to the infinite creator. But on three different tracks, fourth density, fifth density, and sixth density. Now, people that are new to channeling can't necessarily bring through the higher frequencies of sixth density. And so they bring through a version which has been stepped down through the work of the fourth density participants which is fine. Uh, that, that's a perfectly legitimate and, in fact, central part of Kuo. Uh, and most groups that I've seen over the years don't get much beyond fourth density and what they can bring through. Uh, the more tuned ones, the more experienced ones might begin to get into the register of fifth density. Very few can reach to sixth density to start to begin to bring through that energy. When one actually sits in on the sessions, one can begin to discern that difference with long experience. One can begin to discern that difference and begin to become more attuned to the sixth density deliverances, messages, if you will or simply uplifting energy as it's sometimes experienced. 
that takes time, that takes focus, and it takes getting comfortable within a group. And that is one thing that uh, I think that we have begun to make good progress on, Jeremy. I agree. Um, And it's something that we discussed at the last intensive, um, because you had had an observation about uh, my, my tuning when it came to bringing through more sixth density information and how I sometimes kind of lose that tuning a little bit. Um, and I get kind of like overwhelmed and I kind of, I, 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 I recognize what you were pointing out that I, sometimes I can revert down the densities, right? I sort of pull it back down the fourth density where I'm comfortable rather than staying in that really, really specific, uh, uh, focused area. And that's fine. That That's fine because it, it's all within the parameters of the messaging. And so that that's fine. Yeah. Uh, uh, we, we aspire to do the best we can, but it's only, it's only that humility and that honesty, which you mentioned, which we have to have with ourselves, which tells us what we need to do on a particular occasion. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's, for me, it's just a thing of like, I think it, I think it's just going to be practice. I think it's just going to be more time feeling that higher energy. You know, when I do the channeling in the Richmond group, I, I purposely avoid Kuo because I recognize that I need a senior channel when I'm engaged in that, in that contact. Um, I mean, I could contact Kuo, but I'd probably only be getting fourth and fifth density stuff reliably. Um, and so, uh, I just, it's just a good illustration to the listener that this is an ongoing education. It's an ongoing task of learning how to use your instrument and give it to the creator and other uh, higher density service to others entities in a way that helps people on this planet. Um, yes. And, and, and I think we should speak to the issue of, of uh, specific information, don't you? Yes, I probably misspoke there. It, it, when I, when you're when you're getting to those very uh, almost technical kind of topics, that sixth density really like I mean, raw demonstrates this in spades. They can give really fine grained information when they want to, but when they talk about the quote unquote specific information, they mean I, I don't take it to mean the same thing because we're talking about philosophy. When they talk about specific information, they're talking about like concrete stuff in the illusion, part of the yes, the drama going on here, and that that's the thing which most e- uh, easily detunes both the individual channel and the group. And so, uh, as part of the practice of exercising one's discernment in taking in what uh, another channel has had to offer. It's useful to keep in mind that if they start saying things like, uh, you know, uh, invoking conspiracy theories or uh, uh, laying blame uh, in various places, it's it's useful to be attentive to what kind of emotional responses these bits and pieces of information induce in oneself as part of the uh, uh, discernment process. So if it makes one suspicious, if it makes one fearful, uh, if, it, if it makes one exultant because, you know, it builds up your side at the expense of somebody else, 
So in other words, if it creates an us-them kind of scenario, uh, those all have the marks of negative information, which easily slips in to the emotional tenor underlying specific information. And, and that, that's why uh, we try to avoid that as much as possible. Yeah, I appreciate that, that uh, the recognition that there's an emotional and like vibratory component to how we're doing this tuning. And it's not something that you could like really explain coherently, but you definitely feel it. You definitely start to feel that there's a, a sense organ of sorts that, that, that pings one way when you're talking one way and it pings the other way. And it's like, that's the thing. It's like over time, you're trying to build a sort of like a control group within yourself that you can use to like measure this stuff against. And that is why, because a lot of people ask, why do I have to go through all this stuff to channel? Like, I just want to be able to do it. And a lot of times they actually go and do it and they never stick with it. Well, they don't stick with it or, or they, they do stick with it because they've had some success and it goes off the rails. I mean, you can extemporaneous speaking done right can often feel a lot like channeling and sound a lot like it. A good speaker, you know, I mean, that's that's something that's occurred to me with um, with channeling is that, you know, how much better all of us might be as extemporaneous speakers if we just slowed down and could make public speeches really thinking things through. And I think that you can mimic a lot of that if you want to, which is why, which is why we are so reliant on our audience of seekers to choose for themselves what to take away and to not trust an instrument as an authority. Yes. I've seen uh, websites where uh, Kuo is, is routinely quoted uh, as an authority. And the first question I always ask myself is who is channeling that and at what time? Yep. Yeah. You have to account for all the ingredients in the cocktail. You can't just point to the alcohol. You have to bring yeah. everything to bear and see what's in there. Yeah. I would say that one of the areas where I think we've done some really interesting research, uh, to the extent that you can call this research, which I think you can because of how much of the work we put through, but you know, the listener once again has to be the judge of that, uh, is the sense in which, you know, we talk about in our, uh, evolution through the densities of third density being crucial because it's where the choice of polarity is made. And I think both, I think all of us have been surprised at how much the Confederation has expanded uh, the consequence of that choice. It doesn't just lead to how we, uh, which, which path we take. It seems to actually, a lot of the biases that we accrue in third density, a lot of the distortions that we accrue in making that choice seems to template our further evolution and sort of guide it and, and, and provide almost like an, I don't want to say aesthetic, but like the aesthetic like vibe of, of what we're going to experience as we move back to the creator. And then, um, especially in this last intensive, the idea of, you know, in past octaves, third density being much longer 
whereas six and fifth density is shorter. Ra had a, a, a mention of this. I'll, I'll note it in the show notes. Uh, we asked Kuo why that might be, and it seems like this same importance, this pivotal nature of third density and the specific way in which we make this choice, not just that we make the choice one way or another, but the characteristic involved in our choosing seems to be very important. I, I might be reading too much into it, but is that generally the sense I, I don't you get? Think so. I, I think that's, that's exactly what we did glean from that session. And that, that was one of the more interesting sessions in my view. Uh, uh, it, it puts in an entirely different perspective, doesn't it? The uh, practice of wandering, right, uh, and and the uh, interaction between third density, which is where we are now, and um, fourth, fifth, and sixth density uh, social memory complexes, because it, it's a it, it, it's kind of like this great circle. Uh, and it, it's it's not simply hierarchical because there's give and take from density to density. Uh, yeah, I thought that came through very clearly in our last session and was a, a very interesting uh, innovation. Yeah, that was de- a, definitely a very interesting session. I think I think there was also some concepts in the session we did on what the Confederation might mean by spiritual efficiency or evolutionary efficiency that speak to that, too. Because there's something about the relationship between, it's almost like, where do you want to have, where do you want to have the, the, the pain? Do you want to have it all concentrated in third density and then use fifth and sixth density to kind of work out the kinks? Or do you want to have a perfect third density? And then by the time you get the fifth and sixth density, it's all worked out and you can just move forward. But that third density is going to take forever, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. It's taken long enough as it is, especially with those that have to repeat it. But uh, what can you do? Um, uh, it's it's a it's a troubled planet we're living on at this point. Yeah, and that's a that's a good point. You know, what I'm interested in in the working group, just to sort of blue sky think here, is uh, you know. I, I would I would hope that channeling is only one of the activities in which we are engaged and that over the a long period we can do more things that can be of, you know, spiritual help to the planet as it goes forward. You know, one of the one of the sessions that was one of my favorites was uh the one on earth healing we did right at the first intensive, where uh Kuo provided the insight that uh planet Earth is not itself in the chain of logos, sublogos, sub sublogos, and the reason for that is that you know the term logos is reserved for those who have some kind of like self consciousness, uh, if I understood correctly, and that what the Earth represents instead is the subconscious in a way of the social memory complex that is emerging as the waking consciousness of the planet. And that there's just like we are going to drop the veil within ourselves in fourth density, that fourth density itself almost appears to be a dropping of the veil between our society, our collective social consciousness, and the subconscious, which is this planet itself, Gaia. That's right. And, and that, that would coordinate with the fact that at this moment, when we're all trying to 
open those pathways to the deeper resources within our own being, that there's also at the same time so much attention being paid to healing the earth. Yeah. Right. Uh, any any uh, sessions that stood out to you, Nithin? I mean, we had, we had a lot of interesting sessions. I felt like, um, you know, we had ones on like uh, the evolution of consciousness through the densities, starting with first. Um, I like the one about uh, the one we just spoke about, the uh, the length of third density, you know, different octaves. Um, yeah, I, you know, for that being the first time I'm participating in it, I yeah, I found a lot of interesting um, sessions. That being said, the uh, the physical aspect was kind of uh, <laughs> during the channeling it was okay, but uh, I think you know afterwards there was like one night in the middle where I couldn't really get much sleep, and then the last night after we're done, I got like two hours of sleep, and like I hadn't had I I think that day I had no caffeine or maybe caffeine in the morning. So by the time I was asleep, it was just me or trying to get to sleep. It was just me, but I was like. I took my blood, uh, I, I took my, uh, not my blood pressure, but, um, uh, my heartbeat, it was like at 120 for like, <laughs> like from basically lying in bed from like 11 PM to like 4 AM. So I, I, I thought I was like getting sick, but no, it was just, I guess it was just energy. So yeah, it was crazy. Oh, I remember we were afraid that maybe you caught COVID or something. Cause that seems to be a yeah. frequent visitor to our intensives lately. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, that's not so surprising. That the first time that I I went to uh, Anchorage to visit uh, Carla and Jim, uh, the, the night before, uh, I took a motel room uh, so that I could arrive fresh and, and cheery for the uh, session. Uh, and uh, uh, I had the same experience that you did. I, I absolutely couldn't sleep. I, I was, it was like I was infused with, with uh, this huge surplus of energy and, and hardly knew what to do with it. Exactly. That's exactly how it felt like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, even from the, the raw contact, they talk about how the, I mean, maybe it's different with uh, trance channeling than with conscious channeling, but this energy gets reserved, right? Like there, there is some sort of deeper metaphysical energetic preparation that's involved in your, in your more total self, I think, when channeling is concerned, because it is uh, an activity that's more explicitly occurring across different levels of consciousness, different levels of selfhood. And it does tend to open these channels. Uh, and there's a, a persisting effect afterwards. And the more you do it, the more these channels will be open and the more persisting that effect is and eventually the deeper it becomes. And so I find that serving as a channel has also helped immeasurably in my practice of meditation, for example. I wish I could say that it made my catalyst easier in that, but it hasn't done that. Yeah. <laughs> With you on that one. Um, I guess uh, this is, this is uh, just a shot in the dark here, but do we have any idea on where we want to take this project? Are there, are there questions that we still want to ask? Are there, 
are there changes we want to make? Uh, where do we see this going in the future? We've, we've been able to make it happen four times. That's four times more than I ever, ever thought we would be able to accomplish. And now it seems like, you know, we're talking about maybe involving the rest of the working group a little bit more. I was just wondering, Stephen Nithin, if you had any ideas on this. Well, I'm willing to open it up. I think we need, we might need one more session session with the three of us uh, to get our feet uh, entirely under us. Uh, and then maybe start inviting well-focused individuals in, uh, make it a more publicly available uh event. Uh, I, I do think that a point that you've made on other occasions, Jeremy, that we do well when we think about our questions thoroughly and deeply beforehand, so that perhaps within the context of a given intensive, a certain theme emerges that we can explore more and more deeply. Uh, I think that's a useful uh, approach. But we, but that approach shouldn't be so exclusive that it prevents us from following through uh, inspirations that crop up in the course of the intensive itself. Yeah, that's that's exactly how I feel too. Yeah, I was just going to say I think it's a good idea that um, we definitely get one more intensive in where maybe it's just us or maybe a few other people we we know well, um, and then you know maybe open it up a little bit more after that. It also gives folks who might consider doing the work and personal sacrifice of channeling direct experience of what is involved, um, what's involved. I, uh, it's not as glamorous as it looks, man. <laughs> no, it's hard. It's hard work. Yeah. Uh, it's rewarding for me. It's, it's been rewarding work, but it is hard work. I remember when I was first invited to train with the LL circle in 2016 that I just saw that my personal seeking had a new sort of character or a new urgency to it. And yeah. it, I couldn't tell whether the channeling was pushing the seeking or the seeking was pushing the channeling. It all seemed to be wrapped up in the same kind of uh, inquiry, this endeavor to try to get out of my own way and discover what might be calling the shots if I were to do so. And I've been asking this question and doing this exploration ever since. But I know that like, since I was already doing daily meditation for a year, it just seemed like the channeling naturally flowed from what I had already started and intensified and deepened it. Uh, you had a uh, previous experience of a channeling uh, circle prior to 2016, had you not? Oh yeah, I had seen Carla channel. I'd seen, no, but, but I mean, I mean, as a participant, had you not particip participated with Carla? I had participated with, in person. I had not been an instrument. Oh, okay. My first in, uh, practice as an instrument was at that first intensive at LL Research. The, the one that uh, that you and Jim taught, yeah. Okay, but uh, having sat by Carla's side long enough, that you were aware enough of, uh, if you just sit in on the sessions you do get a sense of the vibratory differential. If, if you're paying attention, right? Like yeah. I fell asleep through more than one 
over the years. Um, that right? Oh yeah. Um, doing daily meditation helped me understand what was required to maintain the focus that yeah. keeps you yeah. present, right? It's the presence that you need, that kind of like mindfulness of always being able to like, no, I'm giving energy here. I'm not getting caught up in my thoughts. And then you find yourself getting caught up in your thoughts. No, I'm giving energy here, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I, I would also yeah. say, Steve, a tremendous help to me, not only uh, feeling com- more comfortable with channeling than I otherwise might, but sort of understanding the cadence and vibe of it was reading through the Yellow Research Conscious Channeling Library in total. I don't think somebody needs to read through the whole thing, but I will say that doing it gave me an idea of the breadth of what I was involved in. Yes. Now, the the approach that I have taken to teaching channeling is is a little bit more streamlined than the one that Carla had reached yeah. uh, by, the, by the end of her life. Uh, hers was always, by the way, in transition, so she would constantly tinker with her own process. Uh, I I found, I found some of the, the approaches there to be somewhat slower than they needed to be. uh, And that uh, there was not as much emphasis on the role of imagination in the process as there needed to be. And I thought that uh, some people who, who just naturally use their imagination anyway didn't have any trouble with that, but that there were others who were very scrupulous about not letting their own imagination speak found themselves tongue-tied. And it was a question of getting... And, and these people often tended to be highly educated and highly intelligent individuals. And so uh, they needed to realize that uh, the imagination does play a role uh, and that what one is learning to do is to balance the intuition and the imagination in such a way that the intuition can speak through the process opened up by the imagination. That's a tricky business. It's very intricate. Uh, but if you don't begin with the realization that the imagination is in play, it can be a block. So right. that constituted one of the one of the uh, things which I added uh, when I wrote my little introduction to how to channel. I don't think that Carla would have disagreed with you. I just think no, that- she would. She wouldn't. Have. <clears throat> uh, but she she didn't emphasize that. She didn't emphasize it. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Maybe it just never occurred to her because she was such an imaginative person to begin with. I think that's exactly right. Yeah. And and of course, like for most people, the last thing they want to do as a new, being a new instrument is to think for one second that they're making it up. Right. That's right. One second. (laughs) And so that, but this is why the Confederation over and over and over again emphasizes the role that the instrument plays in conscious channeling. I think a lot of that is to get people out of their own way. Yeah. Now that there's a point in conscious channeling when one re- reaches up towards the higher self level where uh, one can see the threshold to crossing into trance. Uh, and uh, for me, uh, 
when that comes into view, that, that tells me that I'm as high as I want to go as a conscious channel. Uh, and I'm, I'm uh, carrying the highest vibe that I'm able to safely maintain at that point. Uh, and it also tells me that uh, it would be thinkable to cross over that threshold and become <clears throat> a full trans channel. Uh, that, however, is a totally different ball of wax. At that point, the imagination is no longer in play. And one simply makes one's uh, vehicle available for the use of the source. Uh, uh, <clears throat> Carla did that quite by accident originally, I think. Uh, but when it happened, it was a game changer for her. I'm sure. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting to think about how that transition might might occur in our metaphysical model. Um, I, I wonder if there's like if it's less that you're giving up on imagination and more that you're handing over the tool of imagination to a different part of yourself. I don't know. Well, I, I couldn't begin to to say what the process is for the source. <clears throat> when that's taken place. But I do recall one uh, episode in The Law of One where uh, Ra is attempting to move the uh, the body of Carla <clears throat> and attempting to cough, for example. Uh, it all becomes kind of a mechanical operation. So I don't know how that actually works, but uh, the imagination is a portion of the consciousness of the individual, and it's my understanding that one is is uh, uh, moving that out of the way when there's a full trance channeling taking place. I, I think a lot of the what is called trance channeling is not actually full trance channeling. Uh, by the way, uh, so that that's another thing to consider. But I think the the law of one actually was that. Yeah. Speaking of a uh, trance channeling, uh, I know that the the raw contact was very unique. But did uh, Carla or LL Research or any other maybe confederation or even non confederation sources uh, or groups really focus in on like trance channeling, or was it purely the raw contact, or was there experiments outside of the raw contact to trans channel maybe other sources? There's a lot of sources that claim to be trans-channeling. Um, Edgar Casey, for example, trans-channeled. Uh, he did not uh, channel a source. Uh, he he basically contacted the uh, Akashic Records. But uh, the uh, channeler of the the uh, only planet of choice, which you may have encountered, uh, Phyllis... Schlimmer claimed to be a trans channeler, and she she would go into something resembling a, a trance. But uh, I haven't been able to bring myself to fully embrace that the uh, efficacy of that material. I, I think it's on the whole positively intended, but uh, I I don't think the protocols were very safely or reliably invoked in her case he would just go into trance in any old location and so forth and and so um i haven't been able to 
become fully convinced of the reliability of that information. And I think there's another element that Carla and Don and Jim brought to bear. Even in a trance contact, it is still the group in contact. It is not simply a matter of finding the right instrument and getting them doing the right thing to have contact. The surrounding group creates the calling that helps bring in the best and highest information, depending on their vibration and intentions. And I think that's kind of what we want to do at future channeling events. That's, right. that's an yeah. excellent point. <clears throat> that's decisive. Absolutely decisive. Yeah. And I think, I think that the more uh, 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 seeking hearts and minds who are truly thinking about this stuff on a regular basis and bringing that questioning, that seeking, that desire to serve to bear, the, the more we can get the balance that we want in our intensives and bring through the most helpful information we can. Because like, you know, uh, you and I have talked about this, like, I don't want to be a navel gazing group. I don't want to just pose idle questions. At the end of the day, we're at a very crucial point in third density right now. And the information that helps people uh, needs to be the highest priority. That said, I think some of uh, much of the technical information, I say technical because it has to do with the mechanics of the metaphysics for lack of a better term. But I do think that that information fleshes out how we orient and situate ourselves on our path. It's more useful for some than others to be sure. Yeah. Uh, and there are many groups out there that are able to uh, bring in inspirational messages at various levels and in various ways. Uh, I think my own sense is that if we have a unique set of abilities in our group, it's incumbent upon us to reach for our highest and best potential. Yes. And that's all we can do. That's all we can do. That's all that I intend for us to do in our, in yeah. our workings. If I have any say, um, and I just, I just love being part of a group that critically engages with itself about what it's doing. That isn't just like following a path that was laid down before. We come from a tradition. We built, we yes. stand on the back of giants, not just in terms of channeling, but also in terms of philosophy and, 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 and the very concepts that go into all of the seeking. And that tradition reaches back actually uh, in oblique ways, many, many generations indeed uh but what we also can tell in that tradition is that at every step somebody has introduced a small or large refinement that added to our understanding of what was going on and helped us bring you know different and let's say different if we don't want to say better different information through that expands the knowledge base of humanity in making this choice and coming together in fourth density. And so we are just trying to be another self-critical, you know, we, 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 we understand that there are, that it needs to be monitored what we're doing. We need to reflect upon it. We need to get feedback, but going forward and trying to see how we can move the ball forward and hopefully other groups will come to play too that can give their perspectives on it and help flesh this out. And everybody's going to have to figure out for themselves what to listen to, what they resonate with and what they don't. Uh, so the all, all we can do is give our best resonance to this work and let the chips fall where they may. Yep. True, true, true. 
Well, thank you so much, Steve, for joining us. I'm, I, this has been a long time coming. There's a reason why I wanted to have you on the 50th episode because you've been such a huge help to me on my path. You've been a counselor, a friend, a teacher. I'm, I cannot express how grateful I am for all that you've given me. And vice versa, Jeremy. And it's good to have you in the in the group too, Nathan. Yeah, thank you so much for 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 jumping on board this weird ship <laughs> and helping us paddle it. It is uh, <laughs> it is so is so bizarre sometimes how all of this has come together. But I'm so grateful for the friendships that I've been able to have with you and Steve. Absolutely. I feel the same way about both of you. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we're going to continue to get uh, episodes out. Uh, let us know on our contact form if you have any questions or any comments. And in the meantime, dear friends, stay in the love and light.